0: the field of human country but so much owed by so many
1: to so few
0: utrikespolitik inga pajans konst lite he he Welcome to another episode of Radio UF, Uh, my name is Laura de Alba and I am the head of radio here at Radio UF and today we have a very special guest here at the studio, it is Quentin Machado. Hello Quentin, how are you doing? Fine and you? I'm good, thank you so much. Um, So Quentin is here because as you know, if you have followed the recent programs at uh, Radio UF, uh, that we did a collaboration with Utrecht the Magazine. Of, of foreign affairs and uh, Quentin was is an author in this publication and he wrote an article on exploring EU strategic autonomy uh, and the subtitle, A New Approach in a World of Uncertainty. Um, this is very accurate I think there's a lot of uncertainty to say the list. Um, but I would also ask you, Quentin, who are you? Uh, tell us about your past, your background.
1: Yeah, so basically, I'm a French student lost in exchange here in Sweden with the cold and the snow. Lovely. And I study political science and I'm mostly interested in geopolitics and international affairs. That's why I I took the focus on EU strategic autonomy for this article.
0: I see. Well, it's really interesting and uh, we're really looking forward to listening to it. We're going to divide the structure of the program into what is the strategic autonomy, and also, if it's a strategy for survival in this uncertain world, and also what can we do? Like, what capabilities could the, would the EU further develop for this? Uh, also, of course, we're going to speak of data and uh, the technology and alternatives to uh, reaching a defense strategy that is beneficial for EU European citizens. Uh, of course, with a lot of discussion in the meantime. <laughs> That was Andromela by Pink Milk. And you're listening to Radio UF. I am here in the studio with Quentin Machado. He just introduced himself in case you're just tuning in. And we are discussing the EU strategic autonomy. Uh, but before we dive deeper into the topic, I would like to ask you, Quentin, uh, what actually is uh, strategic autonomy? Because honestly, before I read your article, I'm not studying political science, so I did not know exactly what this uh, that, what this term meant. So if you can like break it down so that five-year-olds or uh, students uh, who, like me who do not know what it is, can you, what would you say?
1: Okay, so maybe I can start with the whole definition from the EU Council and then delves into it. It's Basically, it has been written in the Global Strategy for the European Union's Foreign and Security Policy, which was published five, six years ago. And it's the definition is the ability to act autonomously when it is necessary and with partners each time it's possible. So, basically,
0: so, so for example, uh, in an emergency situation like the one in Ukraine or something similar, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. The 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 entire thing is to be able to to take autonomous decisions without being under the pressure of any other superpower like China or United States.
0: Exactly. So if we're going to be a little bit more etymological, then uh, autonomy uh, would be the antonymous to dependency so that the EU can take its own decisions uh, when it comes to geopolitics, uh, etc., without needing to consult uh, other economic interests. Uh, and thank you, Quentin. And now that we know what it is, uh, I am very curious, like, what is it that led you to write about this? What What inspired you?
1: actually it's the whole debate that there is in France around the the European policy of President macron because of course we have a lot of strikes in the bench each day, but this one was really interesting because for once all the 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 citizens that despise macron for once they they agree with him and I think there's it's because he he told some years ago that NATO was quite brain dead and that that's why he wants to promote the eu strategic autonomy but first, it was only on the idea of defense and now we it's more on the economical sides of it and there was a whole debate because they were like oh but can we escape the american domination over for example economy or about the nato because we we have to follow them and france traditionally has been quite like uh, a, a forerunner on it like a lone wolf, maybe I don't know how to say it, but like because <laughs> they, they were always disagreeing with the Americans on international stances. So I think if Macron is promoting it, is to allow the maybe the EU to act by by itself.
0: Yes, and for a reminder, Macron a uh, French president who has been in power since 2017 and maybe things like, I don't know, the yellow vests or the protests that we had uh, last year, uh, sorry, this year in uh, March with the, uh, the trash that was on fire and similar things. So just to put in context a little bit what you said. And uh, yeah, NATO is definitely controversial. We say that in uh, from a studio in Sweden. Uh, where native is also a very actual topic uh, discussing Sweden's membership um, but yes uh, thank you uh, for tuning in uh, we are going to go on a break and you're going to listen to Our Pretty Planets, you're listening to Radio We're back in the studio. You're listening to Radio UF. That was Our Pretty Planets by Hampus Viking. Uh, I'm Laura de Alba and I'm at the studio with Quentin Manchado and we're discussing uh, e- exploring EU strategic autonomy. Uh, and I would like to ask you some, a bit of a controversial or well, not controversial, but maybe a complex question to. We have an answer to. Uh, we were saying how uh, it would be um, the strategy to be autonomous from the rest of the world. For example, countries like uh, the US, uh, but some might wonder if this is a protectionist view on the EU. Uh, what would you answer to that, uh, Quentin?
1: I mean, of course, politically it's quite a controversial question, but I, I would say there's no sharp answer possible, because it, it really depends on the fields we study, because if we if we take, for example, militarism, it, it depends on the country. Some will be like, yeah, it's... it's uh, it will be a protectionist for them, but in the same time, like we could say, for example, that NATO is quite a pr- protectionist institution to protect European or American interests. And I think for economy, we cannot say that it's it's protectionist. Like it's not pure protectionism. Like for example, when President Trump, back in the days, was promoting full protectionism by uh, putting tariffs on on European projects, because Europe has always promoted the. The f- free concurrence, and uh, but in the same time we also have some kind of protectionist companies, some kind of European champions, for example Airbus, that are actually really protectionist and against the the, the traditional ideology of free trade and and no concurrence and and free concurrence in the the EU level. Because if we take Airbus, it's there's no concurrence to Airbus. It's a European champion for producing planes it is also producing missiles with airbus defense and space but in the same time it promotes the interests of the european union because it's a company which shares from from france germany italy and great britain and i guess that it could be maybe something positive because by building those champions and going against the traditional neoliberal uh, ideology of the concurrence it's I mean, you, you, you build champions to, to be autonomous.
0: And I guess that the EU is like kind of protectionist within itself as a, like by definition as well, right? So we are going to give each other, our neighbors, easier trade uh, conditions, etc, etc. So that we're like more... Unified against the rest of the world and potencies like uh, China, the US, India That have really big economies that single European countries cannot necessarily compete against So I guess that this is kind of in line with it
1: That is true, yeah Uh,
0: Well, uh, this is time for another music break And you're going to listen to The Swedish King by Wonderfun Mm -hmm. the Swedish Kin by Wonderfan. You are listening to Radio UF and I am uh, in the studio of Student Radio with Quentin Machado. Uh, we were discussing the um, protectionists or not protectionism uh, of strategic autonomy. And uh, I know that in your article, Quentin, you also said that this was a strategy of survival in a world of uncertainty. Um And what is exactly this strategy? And why is it so important that it is a strategy of survival?
1: Yeah, I think I took this quite geopolitical stance because when we look just this year that is ending and the previous year, all the the stuff going around uh, the world with Ukraine, Israel, and tensions with China, I think strategy is really like being able to choose independence when it suits the most the European interests. It's not to be forced or to be to follow any big power, like in a geopolitical or economical sense. But it's really like constituting ourselves as a big power, but without deleting partnerships or or so. Because we're already the second economical power, and I guess we will talk later on the the capabilities. But if we go on the geopolitical analysis, we see that... (laughs) it's we could say it's almost a new cold war with the with between us china and russia and sometimes it's it's really against when we follow we follow the the us or if sometimes we follow china it's really against our interests and for example we can see really recently some days ago that the us took a, a really sharp stance on the the conflict between israel and palestine by putting a veto in with on the humanitarian aid for Palestine, which was quite against the traditional European vision on on it those last weeks and but we we quite forced generally to to follow the the u s stances on in geopolitics and discourses, so I guess that maybe Osnov's strategy will allow us if we're stronger to to resist the US pressure or China pressure, if we talk about economical matters, it will allow us to to stand strong and to say our word.
0: Right, and that's exactly what you discuss as well in your article. And we what we will talk about more in detail in next Prata, like what are the things uh, and the sectors that the EU should develop a bit further if we want to... Reach this uh, strategic autonomy, right? Um, but something that you said that I thought was really interesting is that the EU uh, tends to follow the US uh, politics, and uh, and I kind of read in that you meant that it, this was because we were not totally independent. Uh, is that is that right? Is that what you meant? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah and uh, maybe for listeners who are new to the topic, like what do you think this is? Like some examples of this? I
1: think the 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 biggest illustration will be the, the second war we had in the the second Gulf War with Iraq. Because in 2003, I will take again the example of France, but we were staying with Germany. The the French uh, minister of Foreign Affairs, who was Dominique de Villepin, stood against uh, the US and the president of the US, who was George Wilson Bush, because he wanted to to invade Iraq against potential... Uh, weapons of massive destruction that would have been found under the Saddam Hussein dictatorship. But in fact, France and Germany were really, really against because there were no proof at all, no real proof uh, about those weapons of massive destruction. And the thing is that when the the French Minister of Foreign Affairs stood up with the German in the the UN, and the the discourse really triggered the the government in the US and they applied... Direct diplomatic and economical sanctions against officials in France and Germany, and then we only France and uh, some officials in Germany, but stood uh, against the, the war in, in Iraq, and a lot of countries like in the European Union, like Spain or Great Britain, engaged themselves in in this coalition to for the invasion of Iraq, but the French. Uh, the French and and the German, they were quite punished afterwards.
0: I see. So uh, we see that this goes back uh, to quite the beginning and the middle of the 20th century. But thank you so much uh, for tuning in. You're listening to Radio F and you are going to listen to "The Lecker" by Dina Ögon. And that was "The Lecker" by Dina Ögon. A big shout out to Sheston Sigvarsson, who is helping us with the technique today, as well as to all the music team here at Student Radion that make this possible every single week. Um, and with now, uh, now we can go to the topic of the sprata, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we are going to discuss the enhanced capabilities within the EU, uh, meaning that it is the different sectors or the different industries that EU could invest more or could like change the structure in order to be less dependent uh, on foreign powers or on the politics that uh, countries like the US or China adopt and can have a little bit more of its own opinion. Uh, so what are these examples, Quentin?
1: when we we delve into the the reports and uh, the policies of the the European Commission for example which say it's mostly about sectors in industry or in the market or public services and also about even if it's a secondary topic because we're mostly talking about economics but it's still nice to, to remember it about the reinforcement of the rule of law in dictatorships in the vicinity of Europe like Belarus for example. To, to enhance the European security. But it's mostly about for example, if we if we go with the high tech, it's already in in the in the way because with space exploration or quantum computing and advanced AI, we're really forerunners. With advanced AI, it's the case with Sweden and France, for example, because we we already work, for example, with uh, with OpenAI who produced GPT so we have the skills to to have a, an autonomy an autonomy on the production of high technologies, and it's also the case with the public health because we have a really strong in- infrastructure and among the the first pharmaceutical companies, and but something we're more vulnerable in it's maybe the supply chains because we're really dependent on, upon China even if we remain the first world exporter of manufactured goods and services. But I think the the biggest problem is the price concurrence, because even if the EU, we have good projects, good norms and good food, there's there's a a huge concurrence with the very, very low prices and the cheap uh, labor force prices in uh, South Asia and in China. And so I think there's maybe room for for discourses, political discourses with it, to enhancing national industries or reloc- relocalizing uh, supply chains.
0: Yeah, and I know that uh, the all the activism that focuses on keeping the human rights uh, standards for products not only produced but sold in Europe is also taking force. There are some uh, measures right now. Uh, I think Sweden is one of the first countries that has actually like implemented sections. For uh, companies who do not respect these standards, uh, but it's also very big in the European Parliament whether this would be a requirement uh, across all the community. And uh, it's also, I think, that in terms of the euro, the that is something that we could discuss as well, right?
1: You mean the currency, the euro? Yeah, exactly. The okay. euro. Yeah, I think it's. It's a, a, a solution in between, I would say, because it's a more and more powerful tool to be deepened for, for the European autonomy. Because like now, it's already one fourth of the, the exchanges all across the globe. It's with the euro and it's even more powerful that currencies such as the, the yuan, which is the, the Chinese currency. But still, we have a really big dominance of the, the dollar among the upon the, the world economy.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and it's also a highly stable uh, currency as well, more more, because of the stable politics and a lot of other factors, right?
1: Yeah, that's why it you more and more people. And even uh, some, some partners prefer to, to, to have more confidence and to sign contracts in euro because it's way more stable than, than the dollar. And the dollar only relies on the, the Federal Reserve, policies in, in America. That means that they can change it to comply with their own interests whenever they want and it can produce crashes in some countries. But in uh, the European Union, it's, it depends on the European Central Bank, which is really more stable since it's debated beforehand among a lot of countries.
0: Yes, of course. You're listening to Radio UF and this is Rosenlund Revision by David Richard. We are back. You're listening to Radio F. My name is Laura de Alba, and I'm here with Quentin Machado in the studio. And we're discussing EU strategic autonomy and all its implications. And now, drumroll, uh, <laughs> it's time to discuss the question of NATO, the one that everybody is always speaking about, that some of us fully understand, some of us don't really understand, but we still heard about it. And... Uh, so, uh, in this context of European strategic autonomy, I would like to ask you, Quentin: Is it a hindrance or is it a tool? Like, can NATO be beneficial, or should we f- should Europe gravitate away of it?
1: I think my my answer as a French will be that we should go towards independence, but not to be slaughtered by all our listeners. I will pre- <laughs> present all the the standpoints on it. Like the, the first problem that we have, that's, impeaches us to to produce uh, European strategic autonomy in the defense is that we have a lot of coordination problems between the member states on the sovereignty criteria, because there's a lot of factors of tension, like, for example, as I presented before, between the Baltics and the Nordic countries that are maybe more vulnerable to countries such as as Russia, that... Assume completely to have uh, an American protectorate uh, upon their their armies, but in the same time we also have countries that are really against the uh, friends first that promotes a uh, full shift, and that is like historically really really uh, dissatisfied with NATO. Even our, the one of our presidents who was Charles de Gaulle, he he left NATO after an argument with the U.S. for 10 or 50 years. He left the 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 commandership of the army, and we also have countries in between that are called multipolarists, like Germany, Italy, Spain, or or Greece, that would like more distance with the the American tutelage, but still without vexing Washington.
0: What do you mean by multipolarist? Just
1: to be because they're they're more promoting. Uh, I think the, the French are as as well, but they're multipolarists in the sense that they're they're not. Against the American power, but promoting a, a, a world view based on the UN.
0: Do you think that we could say that they put their eggs in different baskets?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly the, what we could say. <laughs>
0: okay, perfect. Uh, okay, but if if not NATO, then what is the alternative? Like, is there a European alternative, for example?
1: I think there is, and I think maybe it will be quite forced because. That we know that Trump announced that he will, uh, he will leave NATO for financial reasons and because he said that Europe is no more important, clearly. And that, that's true. He's realistic because the, the center of attention from the US displaced towards Middle East or the Asian Pacific. And that's why also Macron told, told that uh, NATO was brain dead because it does not comply with the original objective. But we also we already have an integrated defense system, in fact, that exists and works in in parallel with the NATO. And it's called the Permanent Structured Cooperation that coordinates twenty-six armies under the, the High Representative for Foreign Affairs of the European Union, which is currently José And it works since twenty nine. And it has been really successful in operations uh, such as in content terrorism or peacekeeping in the in the vicinity of Europe, in the the Balkans, or Middle East, or Sub-Saharan Africa. And in fact, for those who will say, yeah, but it's not a real defense, the the Article 42 of the Lisbon Treaty, which is one of the the latest uh, modern fundamental treaties about the European Union, it stipulates that there's a full obligation of aid and assistance by all means if one of the member states is attacked. Even if, of course, there's a huge danger for the helper, and because we, we haven't receded the, the sovereignty criteria on, on this spot, But in the same time, maybe we could argue that if France or Germany has to go to war with, uh, with China because it attacked the United States, maybe we could say, well, no, we don't want to mess with, with China because they're too powerful.
0: I see, so it would be a, give a little bit more of room of decision. You are listening to Radio UF. My name is Laura de Alba. I'm in the studio with in the Technique and Quentin Machado as a guest. And this is the song Petroleum by Act. Hello, we're back in the studio. You're listening to Radio UF and we're discussing... The EU strategic autonomy options. We currently we talked about NATO. We talked about the opportunity areas, and now we're gonna discuss the technology and research and development, and how EU is more advanced than we could think. Uh, sometimes we might hear like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, the US who has invented the newest things, or it's uh, China." Or but uh, the EU has its own inventions as well and its own. Uh, economic sectors that are pretty developed. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more in detail about it, Quentin.
1: Yeah, maybe to break this stereotype, I, I will recall that Europe has traditionally been the land where industrialism was invented. And we invented so many things about science or health. So like in the US, then took some patterns. But of course, afterwards, in after World War II, they, they've been more advanced than us. But still, in domains such as energy or in the military, we has a we have a, a really strong, uh, we can rely on a really strong uh, technological field. And if I start with the uh, energy, for example, for the European strategic autonomy, it's quite important because we have a high dependence for energy on Russia for oil and uh, for natural gas. Sorry, and there's room for improvement. And for that, we really, really advanced on renewable energy, for example. We have member states of the European Union, such as Austria or Iceland, that have almost 80-90% of their electricity produced by hydroelectric or geothermal power plants. And we also have a lot of skills, even if it's more controversial, on the nuclear technology. And, for example, we have France and Germany that have been... Quite forerunners, runners and in France, for example, we have the, we have a, an intense research on the nuclear fusion which is another step for nuclear energy and it's the only center in the world and it's located in European Union or in physics as well, but it's not super interesting with autonomy, but it's in Switzerland where we have the biggest uh, particles accelerator. And if we come across uh, the military defense, there's a really, really good high tech in, in Europe. And again, with France, Spain and Italy, there's a strong cooperation on the missile industry and some planes that are British or French are believed to be among the best uh, I mean, uh, airplanes for the military with companies such as like, for the, the planes Dassault system in France and for the missiles Leonardo. And Sometimes we even more efficient than american uh, american uh, america produced military
0: yes uh, and all of this makes me think actually related to globalization and uh, the the topic of the semester and we have so many interesting discussions and programs and we've interviewed uh, a lot of people about it um, so when we were preparing this program and we were talking about kind of like the other side of globalization and I asked you could we even pursue self-sufficiency self-sufficiency in a world that is so highly globalized that depends so much on each other in terms of economics commerce internet uh, etc and um uh, we said that we were going to have a block of discussion because it's fairly interesting but talking about all of this its strategies and politics and i feel like it's and you mentioned it as well it was kind of a world war, cold war uh ambience. So everybody is like turning a little bit more protectionist. Everybody wants to keep their skills in-house. Still exchange a little bit but um, you know, uh, while not taking too many risks and uh, uh, maybe the answer after listening to this program is like, actually yes, it is possible and kind of maybe necessary in this uh, ambience to uh, pursue and achieve self-sufficiency.
1: Yeah, I guess to be really honest, that a full self-sufficiency, I mean, an economical self-sufficiency, that is, autarky is not at all realistic because we're so interconnected with all the other countries, with China, with with, with all the countries, it doesn't seem realistic at all because we will lose all our exportations. But there's definitely room for improvement in, in numerous fields towards more independence because we, we talked about it. And I think it's more self-sufficiency with... But conciliating our interests it's not necessarily something negative it's also it also means new new opportunities and new partnerships across across the globe and for example we could renew our partnerships with latin america or africa because they've been quite uh dissatisfied or worried with some uh, western uh, western policies but if we are more independent than than uh on, on, for example, that America oil companies in, in Congo is one example that came in my mind. It, it will be an opportunity.
0: Exactly. Very exciting futures. And we are almost reaching an, the end of our program. Uh, we're going to listen to one more song Dancer by Idols. Stick with us. <laughs> You're listening to Radio UF. This is a conclusion and we have less than one minute left, Quentin. So uh, what would can we conclude after all these interesting discussions?
1: I think to be really short, we're now in a world of full of uncertainty and with shifting partnerships. So we'd say that the European autonomy is really crucial to advance our points when conflicts arise as, as they had and as they will as well.
0: Thank you very much uh, to everybody listening to us. Quentin is also the editor-in-chief together with Ellen at the web magazine. And do not hesitate to send them your article pitch. They are looking for writers there now. And it doesn't have to be an academical article. It can also be a poem or a literary piece. They are open for anything about everything. Uh, thank you for listening to us. You can listen to this episode and com slash radio hyphen UF. Thank <music> you.